0: Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. This morning, continuing in Luke, chapter 6. Now, chapter 6 in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been, uh, you know, proclaimed Lord and and he's demonstrated that the Spirit is upon him to set captives free and give sight to the blind and the lame would walk and all these things he's been doing, preaching, teaching, healing all around the countryside. He's beginning to come under attack from the Pharisees and the legalists in society that he's not doing everything kosher, if you want to use that word, according to the book. And we've been watching all these things happen. When we get to chapter 6, Jesus is now shifting gears. He's changing tactics because up until now, he's been welcomed by everybody, but now he's starting to feel the heat. He's coming up against political oppression, okay? And so he has to, you know, uh, change course, tack a little bit. And so, what we're going to see in chapter 6, we've already seen, is Jesus te- teaching about a new kingdom, not the old, pharisaical, rabbinical, legalistic, Israeli, Levitical priesthood. I know I just put a whole bunch of stuff out there, but not the old, not the old religious system of the Old wine that, or the new wine that can't go into the old wineskin. It's going to bust it of the patch that can't be sewn on to the tear in the old system. Jesus is bringing something new. And we saw in verses 1 through 11, he's bringing a new Sabbath, a new rest. (laughs) That the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we are to enter in and enjoy the rest that God gave us, not make it a burden. Okay, This is a new king, a new kingdom. Um, And and then we just saw last week, it's under new leadership, right? As he selects 12 to be his representatives to send out into the world, his 12 apostles, a replacement for those Levites, those priests, and those kind of things. And this morning, we're going to see a new law in the kingdom. And by God's grace, we might even see a new king. We'll see how far we get, but let's jump in. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with the crowds of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed, and the whole multitude sought to touch him. For power went out from him and healed them all. Okay? I've kind of teased this out of you week after week after week. But what part of this universe is Jesus not Lord of? Is he the Lord over health? Is he the Lord over your finances, he's the Lord over your family, is he the Lord over your heart? Is he the Lord over your politics? Well, Jesus is healing all, all who come from him. And it's interesting, as far away as the Mediterranean sea coast, Tyre and Sidon, and this is an area of, dare I say, Goyim. That's the Hebrew word for Gentiles. That's a dirty word. In their day, cancel culture, you did not say Goyim. You'd get stoned. In fact, they tried to throw Jesus off the cliff for saying that exact word a couple chapters back. And yet here they come. Demons are being cast out. Infirmities are healed. Everybody's just loving what Jesus is bringing. And so it says he came down with them. That would be the apostles, the twelve who he appointed after he went up on the mountain and prayed all night. And stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of these areas, okay? And uh, it says, verse 20, he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said. I'm going to pause right there. I know it's the middle of the sentence. But what he's going to say has been nicknamed the Sermon on the Plane, not the Airplane, on a broad level place. As opposed to what we're very familiar with from Matthew five, six, and seven, as the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so now this is on a broad level place, and there's a lot of talk and discussion. If you go into, you know, your your resources and look at this. Is this the same thing that Luke is reporting on that Matthew recorded in chapter 5, 6, and 7? Or is it a different thing? There are distinct differences for starters. This is quite abbreviated compared to what Matthew recorded. Matthew, in comparison, is quite detailed in these notes on this new kingdom and these new laws, the new law of the land of the kingdom. Um, So it's quite different, and there's enough dissimilarity between this and the Sermon on the Mount to bring most people to the conclusion, and I tend to go in this direction, that this is not the same Sermon on the Mount that was preached by Jesus, recorded by Matthew. But it's so similar that it fundamentally puts forward a concept that this was a common message, a common theme that Jesus preached everywhere he went to everyone who would listen. What is this kingdom that you're all about? You keep talking about my kingdom is not of this world. You say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is this kingdom about? You you tell us to pray. Uh, Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, tell us about this kingdom, Jesus. And he does. And I would pause it, and I feel pretty comfortable in saying this, that... This is an example, Luke records, of what Jesus did over and over and over again. Wherever there was a crowd to listen, he would tell them about the kingdom, the kingdom to come, the hope that they are all seeking after. They want the king, they want the the riches and and the healing and the health and the life of the kingdom. Well, let's explain this kingdom to you, is what I look at this as. Okay, so we're going to look at this in verse 20 and basically verse 20 um, through 45 deals with the law of the land, if you will, the the new law, the new sheriff in town, the new king. And this is how we're going to roll in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and I'm going to go rather rapidly through this. You can go into Matthew's account, chapter five, six and seven and go detail by detail and break it all down but I want you to see the big picture here. I want you to see the kingdom. I want you to walk out of here today excited that you're part of this kingdom, the whole package. So let's look at it. Jesus begins, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, And when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day and, what does it say, leap for joy. Does it fit the world that we live in today? Does it fit the headlines of the day? Does it fit the reality of the day? Does it fit the battle and the victory that we have in Jesus Christ today? Absolutely. Blessed are you who are poor. And if you go into Matthew's Gothel, that, that it's really kind of like it's the attitude of a beggar who is wanting and needy. He recognizes he doesn't have and he comes asking. And Jesus says, you ask, I will provide. Blessed are you poor for you will for yours is the kingdom of god are you one of those people that knows that you need help from the lord know that you don't have it all know that you are not a self-made man self-righteous i've got this god if you're one of those then this isn't your kingdom but if you recognize man i love the lord I, 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 I want what he's offering me, but I just constantly fall short. I'm having a hard time. It's a dark world. It's, it, the, the world's in meltdown, and it's society is just upheaving, and, and I, I need help. Then this kingdom's for you. It's your kingdom. That's basically what he's saying. He says if you hunger now you shall be filled okay so maybe in the present you're in a struggle but the days are coming when you won't have that struggle anymore for you who weep now for you shall laugh and i know there's a dark cloud across a lot of america today across the world today check your news feeds you know um, christian News networks are all out there that can show you a lot of wonderful things and a lot of trials that the world's going through, but, but watch what you see, but even though we weep, the day's coming where we're going to laugh and we're going to enjoy it. It's, he says, blessed are you when men hate you, okay? Uh, when they exclude you, shun you, ostracize you, excommunicate you, cancel you, And revile you, call you names, mock you, deride you, just make fun of you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And this is really the qualification where all these blessings come into play. Are you poor for the Lord's sake? Are you hungry for the Lord's sake? Are you weeping? For the Lord's sake? Are you finding it difficult to have your Christian witness in this dark world for the Lord's sake? If so, blessed, okay? And that term, blessed, oh, how happy is one translation. But it means if you're blessed, you are the recipient of grace, you are the recipient of God's favor. God is smiling upon you. He sees you, He knows you. And he's working for you. You are blessed. Doesn't feel like it, but that's what the kingdom is like. This is what Jesus is trying to help us see. Okay? It says, verse 23, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner the fathers did to the prophets. And most people listening would say, yeah, I have read the Bible, and yeah, they don't treat these guys. These men of God very well. Okay? They, this is not just the world order doesn't want what God wants. They, they want it their way. And so you get treated the way other Christians have been treated. All that proves is that you're on the right team. You're in the kingdom. Okay. Then it goes on in a contrast here in the next couple of verses. Jesus says, but woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. Man, you self-satisfied. You got it all. King of your castle on top of your game. Everything's working out perfect. Don't need Jesus. Don't need that Bible stuff, that kingdom stuff. I got my own kingdom okay, that's it, you got it, that's all you get, there'll be nothing later, woe to you who are full of, and for you shall hunger, there's com- coming a day, when you just find yourself with no need, and uh, you're, gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna come to a place where you can't find anything to satisfy you anymore, have you ever been that place, I know a lot of us have, right, we seek it in all kinds of things in, in sports and entertainment and drugs and relationships. We're trying to get filled. We're trying to get hung. We're just hungry. Right. But if you're full of that stuff. You're not looking for God. But you will hunger. There comes a day where those things don't satisfy anymore. Woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep. You know, and I'll tell you, let me be the first to say, I read some of these headlines, I look at what some of these people are doing in the news, and as they <sighs> come into power or assert whatever influence they have, the influencers, the podcasters, whatever, and they're gloating over what is happening to just good salt of the earth people, the day will come. They won't be laughing anymore. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Wow. That's a weird one, isn't it? Woe to you when everybody says, Mike, yeah, he's cool. Yeah, Mike, righteous dude. Yeah, Mike, oh, I like Mike. Mike's great. Who doesn't like Mike? <laughs> he says, Whoa. Jesus says, Whoa. What color are these red letters in your Bible? <laughs> red (laughs) jesus says whoa whoa (laughs) doom gloom whoa woe to you when men speak well of you for so did their fathers to the false prophets remember he's in the middle of this culture war the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rabbis, the legalists, they're all coming against him and they all walk around with beautiful robes and everybody goes, wow, look at that religious dude, he's so cool. That's who he's comparing to, that's the contrast, compared to the person that's just trying to scratch out life and, and do as best he can according to the Word of God. So we come really into now some of the laws of the land, verse 27, but I say to you who hear... Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Try that one when you read a headline. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. And in the grammar, the Greek grammar, the way this is constructed, this is a continual habitual behavior on your part. It's your heart. It's what is just your baseline. This is just your nature, right? Because you're a king's kid now. You're in the kingdom. And this is how king's kids behave. They behave like daddy, okay? And our God is a good God. Our God is a forgiving God, a blessing God, a merciful God. And that's what Jesus is trying to lay down for us. How shall we then live? He says, but I say to you who hear, do we hear? Are we his sheep? Do we know his voice? Well, Jesus would say, if you do what I say, then you're my disciple. Not just hearing, James would say, but be doers of the word. And so now Jesus Couches this whole sermon, this message, under this umbrella, I say to you who hear. This message isn't for people who are reviling him, rejecting him, criticizing him, disparaging him. If they, all they got to do is attack and pick at and disassemble and, and do everything they can to underride him, then that's not for you. I'm not talking to you, Jesus would say. I say to you who hear, disciples, matetes we said last week, people who study and learn and follow and do, followers of Christ. I say to you, followers of Christ, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless Those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. This is difficult, (laughs) to say the very least. It's not our nature. It's very unnatural to love our enemies doesn't come naturally, but we are no longer of this world. We are of the kingdom. We are children of God. We are endowed with his Holy Spirit. We're not just in the flesh. We're not just natural. We're supernatural. And you must... <laughs> have the ghost you've got to have the holy spirit if you're going to be going around loving your enemies but you see isn't that what god does isn't that what our father in heaven does isn't that how he taught us to pray isn't that the picture of who jesus was are we going to be king's kids is really the question you want to seek revenge You want eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And notice, these are red letters, and Jesus says, I say to you, this is a command. It's an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. He's telling you, in the kingdom, this is what you will do. You will love your enemies. (sighs) But it's so hard. Well, that's a good start. Now continue your conversation. Lord, help me. And he will. But do you want help? Do you even want to love your enemies? Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees in this chapter. Before he went and did this sermon in the synagogue, there was a man there with a withered hand. And all the legalists, they are all sitting waiting to see what Jesus would do. Because they knew what he would do. Jesus loves. Jesus is merciful. Jesus heals. They know he's going to do it, but it's the Sabbath. Can't do that on the Sabbath. And it's a showdown, right? Okay, corral. (laughs) You can hear the spurs chinging as they just come down the street towards each other. And what does Jesus tell the man? Do the impossible do what is not possible in the flesh do what is not natural to you stretch out your arm and what did he do he did the impossible god's commandments are god's enablements but if you want to love your enemy you're gonna need god that's the way the kingdom rolls And so you see all these things coming out. Do good to those who hate you. I know I'm repeating it. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. I could probably spend all morning just repeating that one over and over and over and over and over and over and over. over. You know why? (laughs) Because I need to hear it a lot. Constantly. That needs to become my new default setting, my new nature, my new habit. It has to be what I spring to and I think. Now, you know, I find it very difficult, but you know what makes it easier? Going to church. Hanging out with y'all. Because I'm thinking, man, Bill does that. If Bill can do that, I can do that. He's probably thinking mike does that if mike can do it i can do it and we encourage each other iron sharpening iron right we're in the word we're in prayer we're looking at our lord we're watching how he lives in our lives and how he treats everybody just so blessedly and it's like man this is my opportunity i need to pray lord fill me to overflowing with your holy spirit That I might be a vessel for you, that I might be salt, that I might be light, that I might have some positive influence on the world around me. Don't let me be like the world that's falling apart and, uh, you know. (laughs) We need to ask that of him. If he strikes you on the cheek, turn the other also. Now, this isn't a call just to let people just beat the snot out of you. But the first reaction shouldn't be to jump to retaliation. The first response shouldn't be violence. The first response should not be hurling insults and calling names. That shouldn't be the first response. There comes a point where you'll withdraw from the fray. You'll seek God's wisdom. You'll do what you need to do. I mean, by all means, the Scripture is full of Jesus defending the widows and the orphans and the helpless, coming to their aid. So there's a, there's a place for that. But our first impulse should be, turn the other cheek. And from whom who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. But, 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 but um, if he takes my cloak and my tunic and... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be cold. I, I'm going to shiver. I'm, I, I, what am I going to do? Oh, yeah. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day a tunic and a cloak because I need it. And our Father, who is good, will supply your need. Right? But we have to be ready to let it go. For the sake of the Son of Man. Remember, that's the qualifier for all this. Verse 31, And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. This has come to be known to us as the golden rule, right? You first see it in Leviticus 19, verse 18. And it runs through the Scriptures. James, in uh, his letter, in chapter 2, verse 8, refers to it as the royal law, um, the golden rule. And ultimately, that's kind of the heart of this whole kingdom and the law, this law section. And it's interesting, it says, just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Now, many people throughout the ages had already put forth a version of this, but generally, in the negative, Hallel, a respected rabbi had done that. Confucius had done something very much like this, but they would say, don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. But that leaves you doing nothing. It doesn't give you any instruction on what you should do. Do unto others as you would like them to do to you. What do you want people to do to you? Do you want people to be nice to you or mean to you? Nice? then what do you do? You be nice and fill in the blank. But it's active. It's positive, okay? It's constructive. It's not destructive. It's giving us a road to walk on, a path to follow. Do this. Do to others what you want them to do to you. And again, look at the headlines. or are getting a conversation at Thanksgiving with your family or whatever. And as you consider all these things, pause for a moment What is it I'd want them to do for me? And then get busy doing that for them. Can you imagine if everybody was just doing nice to everybody? It it would solve everything instantly. We wouldn't have the world we live in. In fact, what would we have? We would have heaven on earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the law. Verse 32, but, negative conjunction, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't love my enemies, but I, I love a lot of people. I, you know, most people would say I'm pretty loving. I'm, you know, zip. your social Your social credit score in the kingdom of heaven is zero. You don't get anything for loving people that are loving you. That's just like you're so what? That's easy. What credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Right? Isn't it? And it's true, right? It's all strings attached. What can I get out of this situation? I'll give them, I'll love them, because they're gonna love me back. How many relationships are just trashed because people are operating in that worldly system of strings attached? I'll give you this, and then you'll you'll give me what I want, right? And it's this give and take thing. And you understand, God did not set it up that way. It says the two shall become one flesh, (laughs) especially in in the marriage relationship. And it's not... It's not give and take, it's give and give. This is, this is the kingdom. It's beautiful, really. Uh, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Okay. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend. They're all to be done, and this isn't a positive, and it's a command. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Don't do it with strings attached. Don't do it with uh, some kind of a expectation that it's going to get you some points, even especially with God. Well, I'm going to do this for you, God. Then you can smile on me. And then... When it's time for me to go to heaven, you're going to say, man, Mike does a lot for me. I would like to have him in my kingdom because, man, he does a lot for me. <laughs> this is absolutely not the kingdom, okay? You do good because you're a child of God. And that's what children of God do. They do good. You give because God gives. You love because God loves. End of story. Just do it. Be a hearer and a doer. Um says, love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Yeah. Oh, there's now we get to the good part, the reward. I knew there was a good reward in here somewhere. And it is actually true, right? In Hebrews eleven six says that those who um, come to God must, A, believe that he is, and also believe that he is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. God wants to bless you. God is a blessor. Blessed are you. If you're in the kingdom of heaven, that's what God does. And there will be blessings. Don't worry about the blessings. You just worry about how you might live for the Son of Man's sake, honoring Him, giving glory to Him, and He will take care of the rest just fine. And you will be sons of the Most High. Hallelujah. For He is kind to the unthankful and evil. And it's true. We look at that, and if it, if it wasn't true, we would all be toast. None of us would even be here. But he's patient. He's kind. He's good. Verse 36, Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. I love that. I've already quoted uh, the Lord's Prayer, right? Or at least up to give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, um, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom of power. Um Forever and ever, right? And then what does it say? Do you, know, you remember? It keeps going. Jesus doesn't stop talking. Red letters. For if you forgive others as your Father forgives, you will be forgiven. If you do not forgive others as your Father has forgiven you, you will not be forgiven. It's really not an option. Mercy. Not giving people what they deserve. Not revenge. Not revenge. Not retaliation, but being merciful, kind, loving, patient. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. We're sons of the Most High. Verse 37, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And ultimately, this judge not, you know, I've seen people say, you're not my judge. Nobody judges me but God. Well, true and true. I'm not your judge, and nobody judges you but God. In the New Testament, written in Greek, when you see the word judge, there's two basic understandings of that word, and you need to be careful which one is being discussed. Here it is quite clear. This word for judge, um, or krinos, is to condemn. It is, as the judge pounds his gavel and declares the verdict, death penalty. That's judgment. And when you judge somebody... Death penalty, prison. When you pronounce judgment on somebody, <laughs> God's going to use the same tool on you. Don't be that person. He's going to go on and, and unfold it. Be quick to forgive. I always, that's like, man, I want to be merciful. You know, people come to me often, Pastor, this person did this and that person did that, and da 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 da. And you, most people get really worn out with me because I'm always forgiving and gracious and let's give the guy a second chance. And man, what about the law? What's right and everything? And I'm like, you can say what you want to say. You can do what you want to do. I'm not your boss. But as for me, I'm going to have to stand and give an account before the Lord someday. And when I stand before him and I consider all the things that I have considered in other people, I'm going to need a lot of mercy. (laughs) I know it. So I'm going to err on the side of mercy. Mercy. I'm going to err on the side of grace. Um, and I just, I'm not saying it's right or perfect, but that's my, I just stay a long way away from that fence of judgment. I, just, I hate that, having to be put in that position. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. How big do you want your reward to be? What kind of mansion do you want to live in? What kind of a life is it that you want to have in this kingdom? Well, you have control over that. Give. Be generous. As your father is generous, be generous, basically. That's what that's saying, right? Um, And uh, I love it because when God gives back, He gives back way more than you can ever give. This is the law of of giving. It's a universal law. It's from the scriptures, from one end to the other, Genesis to Revelation, to be a cheerful giver, to be a hilarious giver, just to give for the sake of the Son of Man, just to give without the left hand knowing what the right hand is doing. Just be a giver. Just be generous. I love it in our fellowship, our church here. We have such a generous church. I look at all you guys, and you don't just give in your tithes, but you give in your time. You give in your treasure and your talent. And I look around the room, and every one of you is involved in some aspect of an ministry or another, participating, supporting. Maybe you're not the point person. Maybe you're hero support. Maybe you're coming alongside the person that's getting this ministry done or that ministry done, but you're giving, right? And why is it? Well, it's. I don't think it's rocket science. I think it's because we are disciples. We are methetes. We are followers of Christ. This is what Christ does, and we do our best to be like Him. He's been gracious to us, and so we just naturally are gracious. And the net result is you just see... The blessing that comes from that, it comes back to you. He says, uh, pressed down, shaken together, running over, (laughs) a good measure, right? Way more than you gave comes back your way. Verse 39, and he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they both fall into a ditch? It's a really obvious answer. It's not hard. The answer is, yeah, they're both blind. They're going to fall into a ditch. They're going to fall into a hole. They can't see where they're going. So why are you asking me this, Jesus? Well, fundamentally, can you see where you're going? How about these other leaders over here? You know, and I'm sure he's in, in mind the Pharisees, the robed Sadducees, the, the super-dupers, right? The uh, holier than Um A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So, don't think that you're anything better than the person who brought you to the Lord. Don't think you're anything better than the person who raised you. A lot of people have griefs with their parents and their upbringing, and their parents were such bad parents. Really? Probably. They probably got played by Satan the same way you did. But if you're looking at them and criticizing them and pulling them down, you're looking at your leader and thinking, I'm so much better than a leader. I remember when I was a baby Christian, young Christian, we were in a new church, and uh, it was just getting founded. And uh, we started this Bible study. Eventually, we had to have a pastor. We got a pastor, love him to death, great guy, knows the Bible, loves the Lord. But he was rather boring. (laughs) Not animated, not exciting. Man, easy to fall asleep in his messages, and sometimes he would misspeak. And I knew better because I read that chapter before I got to church and he would say something wrong and I would sit in the pulpit or in the pews as he's in the pulpit and just be critical in my spirit and like, I could do better than that. Yeah, right? Oh, I heard y'all going, oh, right? And the Lord spoke to me and, and it was a simple thing. He goes, be the bigger man. If I have given you some measure of grace, some gift, some talent, some skill, maybe you are a better speaker. Maybe you are a better teacher. Maybe you don't forget things as much. Maybe you do. If you're the bigger person, then what does the bigger person do? They embrace those who need help. They're gracious to those who need help. They pray for those who need help. You don't criticize and undermine and try to you know, usurp their kingdom or their authority or or those types of things. And I was super convicted. And to this day, I I, I run into that. Not that I have that problem. I, I don't, but I run into other people. They're doing the same thing, right? Because it's it's really common, especially amongst young Bible college students. Um man, they read a little bit of the Bible, and next thing you know their pastor's such a dim bulb. And it's like you might have it memorized. You might have it down pat in whichever ESV or N- NKJV or <laughs> whatever version of the Bible, blah, 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 blah. But are you living it out? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Because that's what I want to see. I want to see a person of character. I want to see a person who's living it out and, and not just somebody who has it up in their heads. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Who's our teacher? Not me. God is our teacher. Jesus is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. We've got the the answer book, right? It's not even like it. What's the answer to the quiz? I don't know. Let's look it up. It's there. It's all there. God's your teacher, and you will be like your teacher. You're not going to exceed him, but boy, it's amazing that I could be like that. Yeah, well, you tuck in and, and study. It says, uh, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Good old plank eye. <laughs> Walking around. Eh, 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 I saw them. You know, did you see how they dressed today? Yeah I, I, yeah, I saw them. I saw them at Walmart. You see how they were taking care of their children? They weren't taking care of their children. And, and, and you know, and it's just like every little speck, they feel like they're the speck inspector. And yet they got this beam, right? In, in, the, in, the, in the verbiage there, that speck, it's a moat. It's like a piece of sawdust, right? Maybe you've ever had that, right? A little piece of sawdust or sand, it's really irritating, and it makes it really hard to see. And you're not seeing clearly, because you've got this irritant, it's, it's blocking, you're doing your best, right? But then comes along this guy, and he's got like a fence post, and it's just like, and then he somehow comes up and tells you, oh, here, let me fix that for you. And you're like, really? Let's get that plank out of our own eye. We're so blind. Can the blind lead the blind and not both of them go in a ditch? No. The whole point here is to consider yourself first. You know, the Scriptures are a wonderful mirror to look into our soul. We look into them, we see ourselves for what we are. But they're really not a mirror for me to show you what you look like. Okay? They might be a wonderful flashlight to help us find our way as we're working with other people, but we need to be careful how we approach this, and, and uh, we just want to be really careful that we're not turning this on somebody else, okay? Consider yourself first in doing all these things. Uh, don't be that hypocrite, right? Thinking one thing and doing another, It says in verse 43, and this is kind of coming back to that idea, it's really been this whole business of judgment. Who are you to judge, right? Judge yourself. If you're going to judge somebody, judgment begins at the house of the Lord, the Scripture teaches us. Not for us to look at the world and go, man, the world's messed up. Duh. (laughs) Yeah, it's the world. That's what the world does. It's messed up. And we look at the headlines and we look at the world and we go, that's just so messed up. Of course, rockets. It's not rocket science. What is is you look at ourselves, children of God, and we see all the things where we fall short. Plank eye, pull your plank out. Are you being merciful? Are you being kind? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you doing good to those? You know, are you praying for those who spitefully use you? Or, or, you know, all these things. Get that plank out, and then maybe you can you can help the world fix its problems. Verse 43, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. This is another one of those obvious sayings, right? If it's a good tree, naturally, it's got good fruit. It's super simple. But super simple, if it's a bad tree, it super simply has bad fruit. Okay, that's not hard one to figure out. So what does that mean? Verse 44, for every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, obvious, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, now this is translating it to you and to I and to the kingdom and how we are to behave. A good man, not a bad, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And the an evil man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth evil. That's the idea. And this is the other word for a judge I alluded to too. One of it is to condemn. The other one is to discern." Or you could even say, be a fruit inspector." You don't have to be going around telling people, "Oh, death penalty, jail sentence." But you can say, "I notice there's not some really good fruit over there. Maybe I don't want to be eating." on that bush, or going and gaining or gleaning from that person. Maybe that's a place to stay away from. Make sure my plank's okay, and then maybe I can go help that person. Maybe they need a little watering, weeding, fertilizing. Maybe they need a little bit of love, maybe a little mercy, maybe a little forgiveness. And we can help them with their fruit, but not until we, out of the treasure or abundance of our heart, bring forth good fruit. It says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, What's in you is what comes out of you. You've heard me say this, and I've heard people share it so many times. In fact, somebody told me, and they had had an even better version of it. But you take a glass. It's a clear glass, so you can see through it. It's half full of water. And something comes along, a person, a headline, an event in life. Something comes along and jostles it, bumps into it, and knocks it over. Kind of like life does to everybody. What comes out of the glass? What if it's filled with acid? Does that change? Life comes, it does what it does, it knocks us over. Now what comes out? Acid. The question is, what's inside? Well, you can tell what's inside you by what comes out of you when you get jostled, when you get knocked, when you spill over what comes out. You know, I remember learning uh, early on in my Christian life. I lived amongst construction workers and had a much more colorful vocabulary than I do now. And uh, I had to really retool my thinking. I had to get something in my heart right. Because when you slam your thumb with a hammer, bam, what's inside comes out. But if you can slam your heart, you know, thumb with a hammer and go, Ouch! You've arrived. (laughs) Now you're letting your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to flavor it, color it, or somehow make it something it's not. Just speak truth. seasoned with grace. But control your mind. Control your tongue, right? This is some of that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then concluding. And so those are the laws of the land. Uh, love, the law of love, do good, be merciful, give generously. That's how we live. Do to others as you would have them, do to you. The law of the land, the kingdom, that's what the kingdom looks like. And finally, verses 46 to the end, and worship team, you can come on up. The king himself. Who's the king of this kingdom? We know what the Sabbath is, we know who the Lord of the Sabbath is. Uh, We know the leadership, right? We've got the apostles. God has placed in humans his Holy Spirit that we, led by God, are able to lead others. And now we've got the law and finally the king. He says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? For just a little thing here. When you see a a name repeated twice, that is a way of emphasizing that name. Instead of just Lord, it's like when you call me Lord. Okay, emphasis. That's what, and if it's three times, I don't even have, I'd have to turn my mic up. Okay? But the idea is you're really emphasizing. And what Jesus is saying is when you (laughs) call me, I mean, emphatically, as so somehow that makes him more of a Lord when you say it louder. When you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. Or why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? Lord, we've talked about this, kurios in the Greek, is an owner, is a master, he's in control. And you cannot say, not so, Lord. That's oxymoronic. Oxy means opposite, and I think you get the moronic part. You can't call somebody Lord and then say no. It just doesn't work that way. Does the clay say to the potter, no, I don't want to be a pot? It's oxymoronic. So Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? And you don't do what I say to do. And then he gives a parable. Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Here you go. Are you a king's kid? This is the litmus test. Are you a child of God? Are you heaven bound? He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, down through the topsoil to the bedrock, and laid the foundation on the rock, and when, not if, and when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded, it was grounded, it was built on a rock. But He who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Which are we? Are we digging in? Either Jesus is Lord Lord of all, or Jesus is not Lord at all. That's it. Lord of all or not Lord of all. We ask ourselves, what is happening to our kingdom, the USA? Or is it the kingdom of you are Lord? The storm's breaking all around, team. I don't have to convince you of that. I don't have to go into hysterionics pulpit theater to convince you that the world is just being shaken like never in all of human history. The shaking's coming. The storm is breaking. The waters are pounding vehemently, powerfully. And if you're not feeling it, wondering, <laughs> are you not out there? Hardly a day goes by that I just don't feel just pummeled by the world. Well, what do we do? And that happens. Dig down and look up. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us a kingdom. You've made us your children. You've given us your word The law of the land, a law of grace and mercy, of love and joy and hope, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, godliness, self-control. Thank you. Help us, Lord, in these dark days, in a world that's melting down. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light. Help us to leap for joy as we see your soon return. Help us to be king's kids, declaring your glory, looking for you, Lord, with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, and all our soul. You are so worthy we rejoice in you in Jesus name amen amen thanks for joining us today to learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org join us in person at the Springs in Hayburn, Idaho or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth